Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our Lord, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the days of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. Now we continue our studies in these early chapters of Luke's Gospel. Luke writes his Gospel, along with the second volume, Acts, to give us certainty. Certainty concerning matters of salvation. Certainty as to what the gospel is, and certainty as to how the gospel spreads and people come to believe. The first two chapters of Luke focus on the birth of Jesus. Chapter 1 anticipates his birth. Chapter 2 describes or announces his birth. Both chapters, 1 and 2, explain the glorious significance of his birth. One of the major ways they do that is by reaching back into the Old Testament scriptures to show us that everything that is happening at the birth of Jesus, 
and all that it means by way of significance and import. God said would happen. Everything that is happening is in fulfillment of what was promised. Luke wants us to know that everything God said would happen did happen. Or put it the other way around, he wants us to know that everything that did happen exactly as God said in his word, it would happen. Why does Luke want us to know that? So that we can know that God's word is true, is trustworthy, that what God promises always happens, and therefore that God's word, where his promises are to be found, can be trusted absolutely. Now, what difference does that make when someone comes to trust absolutely in God's word? It changes their life. It is how people become Christians when they realize that what they are hearing is true. And it is how people live with assurance and peace as Christians. Because they know that what God promises is true. Luke's gospel is not about giving us confidence. It is about giving us certainty. It is one thing to believe the promises of God's words in our heads. It is another to believe them in our hearts. To believe them with an unshakable assurance that stands up to and dispels our doubts and fears and shapes the whole way we live our lives as Christians. As a church family, we're studying Romans in our small groups. Many of you who have reached or are about to reach that glorious chapter 8, the glorious therefore chapter, therefore because of everything you have come to understand about the gospel and then all the promises in Romans 8. Like nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing in life, nor death. Now, there is a very big difference between believing that in your heads but not in your heart, and there is a very big difference between finding assurance from that promise or knowing certainty. Now, in these early chapters of Luke, we see how people respond to the Word of God. There are five characters in chapter one, Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth, Mary, and the two children. Elizabeth's child, John, his birth recorded as Norman read at the end of chapter 1, and Mary's child, Jesus, his birth recorded in chapter 2. And Mary, of all of these characters, stands out in her example of humble, trusting obedience to the word of God spoken to her by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel told her, you will conceive a child and you will call his name Jesus. Mary said, 
How can this be, since I am a virgin? She does not doubt the truth of the message spoken to her, but she just can't understand it. And the angel Gabriel tells her that she will conceive by the Holy Spirit. Mary's response, wonderful words. Words for every Christian to pray are true for them. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Do to me according to your word. Humble, trusting obedience in the word of God. This young girl is a model of faith, as is her relative Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah. In contrast to Mary, Elizabeth is advanced in years, chapter 1, verse 7, and in her old age, verse 36. She is barren, she is too old to conceive, yet she is enabled by the Lord to conceive. Her humble, trusting obedience in the word of God is to call Mary blessed. Long before her husband uses that word, blessed. Elizabeth uses that word, blessed. Because Mary believed the word of God, Elizabeth refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord. Mary and Elizabeth, examples of humble, trusting obedience to the word of God. Now, Zechariah. Elizabeth's husband's response is presented by Luke initially in contrast to Mary and Elizabeth. Mary and Elizabeth are examples of how we are to respond to the word of God. Zechariah, by contrast, initially at least, is presented to us as how not to respond to the word of God. So after his introduction in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, Luke focuses on Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Now, I think it will be helpful for us just to read that account in the early part of chapter 1 again. So let's read from chapter 1, verse 5, to put our passage in its context. So, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And just underscore the next bit. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But there was no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They were older. While he was serving as priest before God, when his division was in duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. A great big deal. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And when he was in the temple, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, we know that from later, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, words that will come to mean a very great deal, fear not. Fear not, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the speech and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared some speech from the angel Gabriel to this man in the temple, this godly, godly man. 
who knew the scriptures inside out and back to front. In the temple of the Lord, the angel Gabriel appears to him. He makes few appearances in scripture and he gives Zechariah this message. Zechariah's response. How shall I know this? For I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. His question sounds like Mary's question, but it comes from a different heart. Mary's question reveals that she believes what she is told but can't understand how it will happen. Zechariah does not believe what he is told. Remember, he is a priest. He is in the temple of the Lord when he meets Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel's answer to Zechariah's skeptical question is as revealing as it is powerful. How shall I know this? Because I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and you bring this good news. How shall I know it is true because it is my word, says God. Think on Luke's big theme, certainty. Certainty comes when we accept the word of God. Because it is the word of God. Certainty comes when we accept the word of God, even when we do not have all the answers to our questions. Certainty comes when, like Mary, who had a thousand questions, we say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, surely we should have, could have expected that from Zechariah, the priest in the temple, this righteous man who had walked blamelessly in the ways of the Lord all the days of his life. He knew the scriptures. He loved the scriptures. He loved God. He loved the word of God. He was obedient to them. But no, there was something wrong. When the supernatural touch of God broke in on his life, there was something wrong, and the angel Gabriel struck him dumb. Verse 20, and behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. He was struck dumb. The priest could not speak. Why? Because he did not believe the word of God, he could not speak and he could not hear. We're told that later on, that he was struck deaf as well as dumb. What we're not told is what happened to Zechariah in the months that followed. All that we know is that he went home, that his wife Elizabeth conceived, and the child grew in her womb. Now we meet Zechariah again nine months on. After their child is born, verse 57, read with me again. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. That's what you did. Zach Jr., but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Why did she say that? Because she had believed the word of God. 
And they said to her, no, that's not right. None of your relatives is called by this name. His name is Zach. And they made signs to their father. They looked at Zechariah Sr. and they said, what's his name? Remember, he couldn't hear. That's why they had to make signs. They inquired about what he wanted the child to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. Now, here's a big moment. He couldn't speak and he wrote it. He etched it out. His name is John. These few words Zechariah wrote say it all. A man who now humbly accepts believes the words of God. Remember Mary's words, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is where Zechariah is now. He accepts God's word. The neighbors and relatives all wondered. End of verse 63 and immediately verse 64. His mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all of them. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Note that now that Zechariah accepts God's word as true, he is able to speak again. Luke records the reaction of those who watched and then heard Zechariah speak. I think Luke intends us to understand that their reaction is to words he spoke that are recorded in verses 69 to 79. His words blessing God. That's what they're reacting to. And I wonder if in time, if some of Zechariah and Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives came to believe in Jesus. It is striking as a sidebar in this first chapter of Luke's gospel that uh, they are the people that they evangelize to, their relatives, their neighbors. I wonder if some believe that very day as God loosed this man's tongue to explain the gospel because he now believed. Now, before Zechariah bursts into song and we burst into song with him, let me suggest how we might hear his words or indeed sing them. You might be a devout religious person, but you have never experienced you're like Zechariah at the beginning of the chapter, but you have never experienced the supernatural realization that has made you alive to God, such that you believe the word of God with all your heart and praise God with joy because you understand the significance of Jesus for your life. You've never got to the point where you get it, you understand it, you can explain it, and you want to explain it. You might be a Christian, someone who is righteous before God, having trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But years of serving have wearied you. Your knowledge of the word of God has grown, but your simple trusting, accepting obedience has waned. You're not cynical. Not yet, anyway. But you're wearied by life and serving. 
You do not live your life with certainty in God's promises. It is a long time since you were not afraid. It is a long time since you have sung a song like this from your heart. Or you might be neither of these kinds of people. You're not religious, you're not a Christian, but you have rejected Jesus because it's all too naive and simplistic. How can it be true? How could it possibly be true? Now, if that is you, then you will find yourselves in the pages of Luke's gospel. Keep listening and look out for yourself. Have you any of you listening beyond the camera I am speaking into been struck dumb or deaf in some way or struck down? I do not mean literally, but has God put you in a place in circumstances where you have really had to think stuff through. Maybe for some, maybe for many, lockdown has been such a time. Like Zechariah, you have been forced to reflect on things, to think on things. Zechariah would come to say that what had happened to him was a tender mercy of God. Might it be so? For you. Let's turn to his song. It is a song. It has lyrics. Lyrics that explain what Zechariah has come to understand about Jesus. Lyrics with music. It is an exaltation of praise to God in light of that understanding but it is not a performance. He may or may not have had a beautiful voice. I suspect having not spoken for nine months, it would have been croaking. His song is a personal testimony from a humble heart. Now notice first, it is not a song about his son, John. It is a song about Mary's son, the Lord Jesus. His own son, John, only figures in the song in two verses, 76 and 77. The rest of the song is about Jesus. Verse 68, the opening line, is the message of the song in summary. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Notice three remarkable things. One, nine months earlier, Zechariah could not believe the word of God that his wife could, let alone would, have a child. Now filled with the Holy Spirit, he is so confident of God's redeeming work in the coming Messiah, Jesus, that he puts it in the past tense. John Piper, preaching on this, comments, for the mind of faith. A promised act of God is as good as done. Second, in this opening verse, the coming of Jesus the Messiah is a visitation of God to our world. The Lord God has visited. God is coming into the world in the person of Jesus. That is what is meant by the incarnation. 
Just so we're clear on what that means. Incarnation describes the supernatural act of God. One God in three persons. Whereby the eternal divine Son from the Father, by the agency of the Spirit, becomes a human but without sin, a perfect union of divine nature and human nature. And as a result, the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, now and forevermore exists as one person in two natures, our only Lord and Saviour. Third, from this introductory verse, Jesus came to redeem his people, for he has visited and redeemed. Redemption is a vitally important Bible world. It means the saving work of God. It encompasses all of redemptive history, the span of the plan of God to save his people. Redemption is vast in its significance, but precise in its meaning. It means precisely to secure the release of people by payment of a price. And all of redemption history comes to focus on the person of Jesus Christ, he came to earth to accomplish our redemption by giving his life in substitution for our own as the ransom. That is what Zechariah is singing about. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, Zechariah is a Jew, but he knew from the Scriptures that the people of God redeemed by Jesus would be from all the nations of the earth, He didn't have all the answers. Jesus hadn't been born. Jesus hadn't explained how he fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus hadn't yet explained how the gospel will go to the ends of the earth through spirit-empowered witness. But Zechariah knew that it was all promised to Abraham way back in the history of redemption. He believed the promise. And then uh, verse 69 and following expand on the significance of Jesus' birth as Savior as Zechariah reaches back into the annals of redemptive history and draws on the richness of the Old Testament Scripture, 69. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That's Jesus. In the house of his servant David, in David's line, as he said he would, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, these words have thrilled me genuinely this week, but they've proved a massive challenge. I've never worked harder on a sermon. It's been a nightmare. How am I going to explain in a few minutes, all that Zechariah has in his mind and his heart as he sings these words. How am I going to explain in a few minutes that this man who knew the Scriptures inside out, the light was turned on and he saw them, they came alive. 
I wrestled long and hard until yesterday. I was brought up short by Mary's words. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We're just servants. We trust God's word. We trust that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, making the word clear to us. That is not an excuse to give up striving to understand God's word. It is the reason to give up trying to understand it ourselves. And give it to God. Asking for his help. To realize we might have grown stale like Zechariah, that good and righteous man. Who consults his commentaries. But needs the touch of the Holy Spirit to open his eyes. Now, as Zechariah sings his song, he has the foundational promise of Abraham and two songs from the Old Testament scriptures in his mind. Maybe a lot more, but I think he certainly has uh, the promise and the two songs. Zechariah's song embraces the promise the foundational promise to Abraham in two songs. Zechariah's song is not a different song from the promise and these previous songs. It is the same song. This is divinely inspired plagiarism. And the point, of course, is that everything that is happening was promised by God in his word centuries before. Remember Luke's reason for writing that we might have certainty about God's promises. Zechariah's song about Jesus sings the same song that God's prophets, kings, patriarchs, and ordinary believers sang for centuries. Except there is one big difference. And the difference is timing. Zechariah's song is the last word before Jesus' birth. The next verses in Luke's gospel describes the birth of Jesus. So Zechariah reaches back into the Old Testament scriptures, first to the promise. He sings with God's foundational promise to Abraham in mind. It all goes back to Father Abraham, verse 73. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and I will make you a great nation. Genesis 15, Abraham says, I, I, how can that be? Because my wife Sarah is old and we have no child. Does that ring a bell? And God says she will bear a son. And look up to the night sky, Abraham, and count all of these stars. His descendants will be more numerous than them all. And a very striking verse that reminds us of Mary, that reminds us of where Zechariah is now, right back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham, God's promise to Abraham is surely in Zechariah's mind. 
down through the stages of salvation history, that promise is being fulfilled, a significant step in its fulfillment, the life of King David, recorded in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. Remember Hannah, at the beginning of 1 Samuel, like Sarah, Abraham's wife, like Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, Hannah was unable to have children. Like Mary, Hannah was an ordinary, ordinary woman, yet the Lord enabled her to conceive. The child was Samuel, and so began that significant period in redemption history, searching for the leader God's people need. That leader was King David. Hannah's song is like Mary's song. Hannah's song is like Zechariah's song. Listen to the end of Hannah's song, 1 Samuel 2 and 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt, listen to these words, the horn of his anointed. Fast forward to the end of 2 Samuel, the epilogue to the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. And listen to David's song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies, 2 Samuel 22, 1-4, the same song is recorded as Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. David sings about God, his Savior. He is singing about the Lord Jesus Christ, the King who will come in his line. He sings of the horn of my salvation, like Zechariah. Zechariah's song embraces God's promise to Abraham. Zechariah's song embraces Hannah's song. Zechariah's song embraces David's song. Zechariah's song is not a different song. It is the same song it is divinely inspired plagiarism to ground into our hearts certainty about the Word of God. That, and also a divinely inspired explanation of the significance of the birth of Jesus. Jesus is the horn of salvation who will redeem his people from their enemies. Now concentrate now if you've drifted away. What enemies? What enemies does Jesus, the horn of salvation, redeem us from? What enemies is Zechariah singing about? What enemies has he come to see that makes him so joyful? The enemies who make it impossible for us to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness. Zechariah declares that in the coming of Jesus, fear will be banished. Now, fear is an enemy. And the words fear not will figure. Fear not, Mary. The shepherds in 2.10, fear not. What is God's word to you because of Jesus? Fear not. What do you fear? 
I watched a video yesterday of somebody who had been diagnosed with cancer. And the interviewer asked him again and again, what is it you fear? What is it you fear? What is it you fear? And he couldn't say it. Death. That is the fear that terrorizes humanity, for we are helpless to do anything about it. Zechariah refers to it in verse 79 as the darkness, the shadow of death. Death is our greatest enemy. We live under its shadow. And in a global pandemic, that shadow that is always there is unveiled for all to see. Many are afraid. I am afraid. But I need not be afraid. I should not be afraid. For Jesus... Zechariah sings, destroys death. He destroys the last enemy. And so the angels sing, fear not, and the people sing, fear not. Really? Yes. Really? Will I not be afraid when the time comes for me to go to be with Jesus in eternity? Really? I will not be afraid because the Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus, has promised me and proved his promise to me so that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That is a promise of God. How does Jesus destroy death? By dealing with the cause of death, sin. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot have eternal life unless sin is dealt with. Jesus came to deal with sin by dying in our place. And so we can, back to Zechariah's song, serve God without fear, for there is no death, in holiness and righteousness, for there is no condemnation for sin. Zechariah understands. And that is the message his son John will preach. Pointing people to Jesus, you child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of his sins. Now, time is gone. Let me finish with the last two verses in Zechariah's song. Verses 78 and 79, they are beautiful words. They are beautiful truths, for he is a beautiful saviour. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, he is picking up the prophetic word this time from Malachi, the last of the prophets of the Old Testament. Malachi had prophesied about the day of the Lord's coming. Malachi 4 and 2, but for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, the sun, the sun that comes up on the horizon in the east, Little did they know then that it would be 400 years for that sun to break into the darkness. The sun of righteousness, 
S-U-N, Malachi 4.2, shall rise with healing in his wings. That's the incarnation, not the resurrection. You will go leaping like cast from the stall. That's what Zechariah is doing in his heart. He's leaping in his song. Zechariah understands the day is dawning. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. The birth of Jesus was like a sunrise at first silently imperfectly stealing on a sleeping world. Has the sun, S-U-N, risen in your life? How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. John Wesley had Zechariah's song in his mind when he wrote these wonderful words Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace Hail the Son S-U-N of righteousness the dawning of Emmanuel light and life to all he brings risen, incarnated, with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And we could add to the refrain, hark, Zechariah sings, and you and I can sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. Lord, there is a very great deal here for us to fathom, to embrace, and to get our heads around. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, help us to understand and embrace it all, and to give glory to our newborn King. Lord, we pray not for assurance, but for certainty. Certainty. In light of your promises. For Jesus' sake. Amen.